Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Appreciate you all being with me once again for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. I'm going to warn you right up front today that I'm going to cuss this morning. So I'm going to say something that's profane. So just going to give you a heads up there. It's going to be different than what you think, but just want to give you a warning. I'm titling my talk today, What's Love Saying to You and to Me? What's Love Saying to Us? A couple of days ago, I went downtown in our city here in Lawrence, Kansas, to eat at a place I like to go to. It's called Fuzzy's Tacos. A friend of mine owns a franchise here in Topeka, and it's right on the edge of our park downtown, South Parks, right across the street from the courthouse. And even though they're having dining in now, on this particular day, it wasn't too hot, and I decided to eat outside in their sidewalk dining area. I did that primarily because there was a protest going on in the park right across the street from where we were, right next to the courthouse. There were a group of occupiers there, a bunch of protesters who had they'd been there for a couple of days, and they'd actually blocked off a whole street. And the police had allowed them to do that, and they'd they'd brought makeshift things in. They'd taken some dumpsters from my friend's restaurant and some other places to block that off. And so I thought, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be an observer here. And I'm learning to do this, what I'm going to tell you right now. And I did it at that time. I just said, okay, Papa, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? And he said, I want you to pray, Paul. I want you to pray for their safety. There were maybe 100 people or so there. I want you to pray for their safety. I want you to pray for their protection. And I want you to pray that their message would be heard. And I just heard him say, remember, Paul, you're one with them. Now, I had a choice. I could listen to my own mind, my own preconceived notions about things, or the mind of Christ. I could listen to man's darkened opinions, or I could listen to the light of Christ, the light of love. I could pray for them, and I did. But what about their message being heard? And, you know, I'm going through that, and I'm saying, all right, Papa, what about their message being heard? I mean, which message? What even is their message? They had a lot of different signs and a lot of different messages, some of them profane, some of the messages I agreed with, some of them I didn't at all. So what is their message? And the Lord led me to this passage, First John 1, 1 to 7. And fortunately, I, have, you know, I got my phone with me, so I got my app there, and so I'm looking it up. Here's the Passion Translation. Here's what John, Jesus' closest friend here on earth, one of the three inner circle, and the closest of those three to him, the Apostle of Love. John wrote this in about uh, A.D. 90, which was 
you know, like 35 years or more, 55 years, I guess, whatever, how many, it was a long time after Jesus died. Jesus died in about 35 AD, and this was, well, this was 60 years later. So people had asked John, they'd said, okay, but you're John the Elder, you're the one who was with him. Tell us what it was really like, because you're about the only one left who was there. And John wrote this, 1 John 1, verses 1 to 7. He said, we saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him. And we heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God, the living word of God. See, when John and the disciples were with Jesus, he was in their midst and they saw him, they heard him and they touched him. But he could only do that with the people who he was right there with in person because he had limited himself to being in a human body. Now, today, Each of us, every one of the however many billion people there are on earth today, each of us can hear Jesus speak to us individually, no matter where we are, because he's in each of us. He's not in one physical place. He's in each of us. Verse 2, John says, this life giver, the one who gave everybody life and the one in whom we live and move and have our being, this life giver was made visible. God slowed down spirit to visibility. And he said, we've seen him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. So he says, all right, now we're going to tell you what we heard. He said, so we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. He says, for truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, the one anointed in the Holy Spirit. He said, we're writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. Now, I've told you all before that sometimes in the Bible, the headers that that go before each section, some publishers put headers in there that are misleading. This is a good one, though. This one, the header is, God is light. Okay. Verse 5, John says, this is the life-giving message we heard Jesus share, and it's still ringing into our ears 55 years later. He said, we now repeat his words to you. Here it is. He said, God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. God is pure light. That's Jesus' message. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. Why was that so astonishing? Why was that so important? Because everybody up until that time didn't think God was pure light. They thought there was darkness in him. But Jesus is saying, no, here's my message. God is pure light. There's not even a trace of darkness in him. All right. That's about as profound as it gets. Now, we know, or at least we've been taught, many of us, that when you study Scripture, you need to see what's the context there? Who are they speaking to? What's the custom like? And all of that kind of stuff. Well, I've come to narrow that down to realize the context is always love. It doesn't make any difference what's going on, what was going on at that period of time. I mean, certainly it, it makes a difference in that how we apply things, but the context is always love, pure love. God is pure light, pure love never a trace of darkness in him. God is pure, unconditional, never-ending love. God is grace. God is joy. God is peace. God is patient. God is kind. God is gentle. Jesus, God, Jesus' faith is our faith. The Holy Spirit's power is our power. There's no darkness, nothing bad in him. 
All of that's good and all that's for us and all that's in us. That's Jesus' message. So I watched the people down there. And then I went home later on that afternoon. I, I was in my office and I was thinking about my time watching them downtown. And Jesus gently told me, he said, Paul, I didn't say to pray that their message be heard. I said to pray the message be heard. The message that I am, we are the Trinity, we are light, and there's no darkness in us. Just as I am in this world, Paul, so are they, so are you. Wow, think about that. Now, it doesn't mean that their message is important. Surely it's important to them, whether I agree with all their message or not. You know, it's important to them, and I do agree with some of it. It doesn't mean They don't have the right for it to be heard. And I love it then in our country, we're able to peacefully protest and we're able to petition and we have freedom of speech. Now, of course, we all have challenges and inequities in life. And sometimes they get to be so bad that we need to go out and protest and bring things up so people can see them. I don't ever think we need to do that going into rioting and destroying people's property and things like that. So that's just my thoughts there. Now, Jesus says, though, There's always a deeper message. Certainly messages in society need to be heard. But he says there's always a deeper message for all of us. Verse 6, 1 John. If we claim that we share life with Jesus, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, John says, we're fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. See, that really hit home to me. If I claim that I share life with Jesus, that as he is in this world, so am I. But I think and live in the realm of darkness, judging, ascribing motives, condemning, even going towards hate, putting people down who have a message that they want to be heard that I don't agree with. Well, Jesus says, I'm fooling myself. I'm not living the truth. Now, meaningful change in people's hearts won't happen until we all step out of the darkness and into Jesus' light of truth. Verse 7, John says, now this is what he heard from Jesus firsthand. He says, if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds Jesus, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. Wow. So if I'm there with those protesters, and we're both living in the pure light that surrounds Jesus, we're going to share unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin or all missing the mark. God wanted me to pray that they would be protected, that they would be safe, and that they would hear and know that God is pure light and that they will never find even a trace of darkness in him. That's not to say their message is not important, not important to them, not important to society. And I'm not diminishing that at all. Please don't hear me say that. I'm just saying that there is a deeper message that God wants us all to hear. He wanted me to pray that they would hear and know the message that God is pure light and they'll never find even a trace of darkness in God. All right. The next thing, the next little heading here. Well, this is my heading because I'm going to jump to Ephesians 4 verse 24. But my little heading here is perfect righteousness and true holiness. And as I get into this, I want to give you a quote from Richard Rohr earlier this week when I'm recording this. Richard said, if you don't live from within your own center of connection and communion with God, you'll go spinning around many other things. The true goal of God, he says, is to lead you back to the place where everything is one, 
to the experience of radical unity with all of humanity and all of creation, and hence to the experience of unity with God, who is the great includer of all else. Boy, that's really good. All right, now we're moving into Ephesians 4, 24 to 32. This is part of our summer of 2020 study of his story in the book of Ephesians. All right, first three chapters of Ephesians, we've learned all about who God is, who we are, who everybody else is, and it's all good. Now we're into Ephesians 4, verse 24. Paul writes this, Be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within you as your new life, and live in union with him. Now, I'm seeing that for me, and I want to share this with you, is for me to start cultivating a listening time. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it doing your devotions or Bible study or quiet time or prayer time or whatever, which I do that. I've been doing that for a long time now, but the Lord is helping me change perspective and to cultivate that time as a listening time. And then, of course, to listen all day long. But to set aside a time and focus on listening with the focused intention of being still and knowing that God is love. I'm calling it my listening to love time. After creating that habit, I'm finding that you'll get to know where you'll hear Papa's gentle whisper to stop and listen to him. Whether it's early in the morning in your backyard, inside your house, in the car, on a break at work, watching protesters, at the restaurant with friends, whatever, at your computer, stop and listen to God's gentle whisper that he is love. Going on now in verse 24. God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. That's why my heading was perfect righteousness and true holiness. Back in the Old Covenant, the Hebrew scriptures, Isaiah one time was speaking for the Lord, and he said, I saw the Lord, and I bowed down, and I said, holy, holy, holy. And I believe what he saw was the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And he said, holy, holy, holy. That's what holiness is. It's relationship between the three of them. Now, before I listened to Papa, while I was watching those protesters, I started thinking in the darkness that, well, these guys are breaking the law. Well, they were, but that wasn't what Papa wanted to talk to me about. It was easy to think about perfect righteousness from a religious standpoint as keeping all the laws perfectly. But when you hear from Papa, from Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they reveal to you what true holiness and true righteousness is. Holiness is relational. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have always lived in perfect relationship. Holy, holy, holy. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, they reveal to us what true holiness and righteousness is. And they ended up, at the end of that time, Jesus saying, now, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. And he's talking about relationship perfection. Let's take a look at that. 
Now, I know I'm off a little bit here from Ephesians 4, but you'll see how it ties in. Matthew 5, Jesus says, now he's talking to Jewish people. He's talking to people. The only scripture they had was their scripture, the Hebrew scripture, what we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And he said, your ancestors have been taught. He's saying, this is what's in the Old Testament scripture. Take an eye in exchange for an eye and a tooth in exchange for a tooth. However, I say to you, Many times he contradicted what was written in the Hebrew scriptures. He said, however, I say to you, don't repay an evil act with another evil act. But whoever insults you by slapping you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. See, that's how Jesus, the exact representation of God, lives. He lives love. Verse 40, Jesus said, if somebody's determined to sue you for your coat, give him the shirt off your back as a gift in return. That's what our God is like. Verse 41, Jesus said, and should people in authority take advantage of you, do more than what they demand. That's what God is like. Verse 42, learn to generously share what you have with those who ask for help and don't close your heart to the one who comes to borrow from you. That's what Jesus did. Now, the heading for this next part is love your enemies. That's a good header. Verse 43, he said, your ancestors have also been taught, again, quoting from the Old Testament, love your neighbor and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy and bless the one who curses you. Don't just love your neighbor, love your enemy. And bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh whether a person does what's good or evil. That's what Jesus does. That's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what Jesus does as you. Jesus, God, loves his enemies. Jesus, God, blesses those who curse him. Jesus, God, does something wonderful for the ones who hate him. I mean, he died and saved those who were hating him. Jesus, God, responded to those who persecuted him by praying for them. Remember, the whole time during his crucifixion, all of it, he kept saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what reveals your true identity as a child of the only true God, Jesus Papa, that we love one another as Jesus loved us. All right, verse 46. What reward, Jesus says, do you deserve if you only love the lovable? I mean, if we only love the people who think that we do and believe the same way that we do and have the same politics that we do and all of that kind of stuff, Jesus said, what, what reward do you get for that? Don't even the tax collectors do that? He said, how are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that, Jesus said? And remember, ungodly people are those who don't yet remember who God really is and who they are. Verse 48. Now, here's the kicker. Since you are children of a perfect father in heaven... You are to be perfect like him. Old translations say, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, the you are to be is not actually in the original text. The only words that are there are perfect heavenly father. Perfect. 
could just as easily be translated with integrity saying, you are perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. (laughs) Friends, holiness is relational perfection. Being perfect as God is perfect is living with relational perfection, unconditionally loving all other people even our enemies, giving grace to everyone, blessing those who curse us, being patient and long-suffering with all others, being joyful with all others, keeping no record of other sins, letting go and lifting up and releasing everyone from anything we think they owe us as a result of hurting or offending us, never abandoning anybody, being gentle with all people, being faithful to continue to unconditionally love all others, being good to all others, even to those who hate us and curse us, never withholding affection, never putting conditions or limits or qualifications on love, being at peace with all others, not reviling back, praying for those who are hurting us. That's what God's holiness is. That's what being holy, perfect as our Father is, that's what it means. Verse 25. Now we're back to Ephesians. So discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth. For we all belong to one another. We're going to look just a little more in our time together today about speaking the truth in context. It's always speaking the truth in love, right? Verse 26, Paul says, don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. And that can happen, can it? We get passionate about something. We get passionate about an injustice or a wrong that's happened or whatever. And But he's saying, be passionate about it. But don't let it lead to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. Jesus, God, God doesn't take revenge ever, not ever. Verse 27, don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. If any one of you has stolen from someone, don't do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. Now, in order to understand this next very important verse, we do need to read it through, in all verses, through our Christocentric lens. Read it through the lens of Christ, through the lens of pure, unconditional, never-ending, agape love, and through the finished work of Jesus at the cross finished being all important. One of the primary things that ended up with Jesus' finished work at the cross was the end of the law, the end of the law covenant, the old covenant, Moses' law, as Jesus called it, all the rules and the regulations of the old covenant, up to and including Jesus' time here on earth, he lived under the law, that it didn't end until Jesus finished work at the cross. Now, we were never under the law. The law was never written to us. It was only for the Jewish nation. The Old Testament scripture says that. We were never under it, but that law ended with Jesus' finished work at the cross. Here's a summary from a group of different scriptures of what happened to the old covenant of the law. Most all of these things are things that Paul wrote. It couldn't make our hearts perfect before God. God never wanted the sacrifices, sin offerings, or other offerings under the law. Those are actually quotes from the Old Testament. If you broke the law of Moses, under it you died without mercy. 
We are not under the law, but we're under grace. We have been delivered from the law. We are dead to the law. Christ is the end of the law. Christ fulfilled the law. He filled it with grace. Christ repealed and abolished the law. The law is obsolete and has disappeared from us. All of those are scripture. All right. Now, Ephesians 4.29, understanding that the law is gone. It, yeah, it's still in the pages of the Jewish scripture, but we've never been under it. We're not under it now. We will never be under it. In our minds, we can think we're under it, but we're not under it. We're not to live like we're under. We're under. We're not under law. We're under grace. So Ephesians 4.29. Now, here's the Passion Translation, and it's a good translation, but I'm going to get to a different one right after I read this. Passion says, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. Now, that's good. That's a good translation. My opinion, my understanding is that's primarily focusing on a societal thing. It doesn't get to the real deep core meaning of what Scripture here is all about. And we've been talking about the fact that there are multi-levels of meaning to Scripture. Some of them, of course, have to do with the elementary things in society today that like, like we would treat like we would teach elementary kids. But all these scriptures have a much more deeper meaning at a much more deeper spiritual level. And I think the King James gets it right on this time. Ephesians 4.29, King James says, now this is an accurate translation of the word corrupt. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but only that which is good for the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only communication that is good for building up, edifying, ministering grace to everybody who hears us. Now, the Greek word that's translated corrupt here is saphros, S-A-P-R-O-S, or saphros. Here's what it means. Rotten, putrefied, corrupted by someone, no longer fit for use, worn out of poor quality, bad, worthless, or it can mean ugly or hateful. Now, remembering all Scripture has both an elementary grade school level of application, but a much deeper spiritual application. Of course, we don't want to let ugly or hateful words come out of our mouths. That's elementary, especially when we know the spiritual definition of ugly and hateful. But what would corrupt communication be at a much, much, much deeper spiritual level? Well, the rest of the verse tells us anything that corrupts the truth of the old covenant of the law still being in effect. Anything that corrupts pure grace, pure unconditional love, never-ending love, which is grace in action. Corrupt communication is anything that diminishes that. It's any communication that says, well, God is love and grace, but that's Anything that comes after that is going to be corrupt communication. We are to minister grace to people, communicate grace to people. That's what, according to this verse, helps them and builds them up. Corrupt words 
are telling some variation of them being under the law. Some variation of, well, if you don't do this, God's going to punish you. Or you're a bad person because you haven't done this yet. Or God can't even stand to be around you because you broke his laws. See, that's corrupt communication. So not only are we not to speak those corrupt words, we're to not corrupt people, but to communicate to others the truth about grace and unconditional love, which builds them up and edifies them and sets them free and ministers grace to them. Now, goes on to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is extremely important. Look at the context here. Don't add rules and threats and condemnation when we're speaking to people. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit of God, speaking the law, speaking a mixed message, saying, well, yeah, I know God is good. I know God is love, but that's what grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we make God out to be, when we communicate that God is anything less than pure, perfect love and grace, pure, perfect love, relationship love. See that? Goes on to say, lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. Now, those things are obvious in our surface relationships. And, you know, we teach little kids, there are many of them, most of them are going to start cussing at some time or another because they hear other people do that and they think it's cool, you know. Lay those things aside, don't say them. But there's a much deeper spiritual meaning about profanity. Lay aside bitter words toward people who believe differently than you do, people who are legalistic, people who want to live life like they're under the law. Don't throw a temper tantrum when somebody tries to convince you that God isn't all good. Don't try to get even with people or take revenge. I used to think, and I taught this, well, when we get to heaven, those other people, they may get to heaven too, but God's going to point out to them that we were right and they were wrong. God's going to, you're going to get your revenge. Uh, no, no. Don't try to get even with people. Now, profanity is taking the Lord's name in vain, disparaging God's unconditional love and grace for all. Profanity means the definition is treating something, especially something sacred, with irreverence or disrespect. Saying God damn doesn't make God mad at you because you broke his law of not cussing. No, here's what's profane about it. It grieves the Holy Spirit that we would even think that the only true God who is pure love could ever damn anyone. Do you see that? That's what is profane about that. It's giving even a hint that God could damn somebody, that God would want to damn somebody, that God should damn somebody who disagrees with us or thinks differently than we do. That's what's profane. That's what's taking the Lord's name in me. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit, that we would communicate to people that God is like that because he's not. Instead, the passage goes on to say in verse 32, instead, be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Yes. Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. 
be compassionate and kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ at the cross forgave you. Now, the key to all of this is we can't do that. We can't do any of that in our own strength. We just can't. And being taught by the law, thinking we're under the law, is that we got to try our best to do that, but of course we can't, and then beating ourselves up and all that kind of stuff. No, we're to change our mind about that thinking, metanoia, change our mind about thinking, realize we can't do that in our own strength, in our own power, in our human strength. But the good news is Christ lives in us and as us. As Jesus is in this world, so are you, so am I, so are we, so are the protesters, so are people that have different philosophies than we do, different beliefs that we do, different lifestyles that we do, different political agendas that we do. We can't do all these things that Jesus said to do that our perfect father does in our own strength. But Christ living in us, as us, can, and he will. And when we want him to do that and partner with him in doing that, oh man, it's really, really good. It's a different, better way of living. Are you listening? Love is speaking. What's love saying to you? Thanks, everybody. Hope this is edifying and building you up today and every day. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.